This podcast is hosted by RPP. The following episode contains coarse language, violent themes, sexual references, and the really creepy stuff. If you're underage, turn off your device. Normal people, Esther, don't just go straight to demonic infestation like we do. Because the government was also freaked out about the movies. They might be dealing with a demonic possession. Meanwhile, as she's on top of him squeezing his throat, she's screaming, who sent you here? And they started to move towards her really fast. What are these? Australian aliens. Welcome back to I I think my fridge fridge is is haunted isolated again haunted and haunted Hey dude how you going Hi guys we're 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 coming at you from isolation. Again. So Gemma's in the studio, I'm in my bedroom, and Chris is in her study. And um, it's going to be a phone call type uh, correspondence again. But you know what? The it's better than nothing. You guys. Better than nothing. It's our 200 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how are you going, Gem? I'm going good, actually. You know what? This whole isolation thing is is actually not a really terrible thing for me right now. I'm actually having a great time. I painted my feature wall. <laughs> I painted all these. I know. I I've been saw. collecting my uh, ornate mirrors and I painted them all the same kind of color. And I've got a kitten. And Beautiful. I'm, tomorrow I'm going to paint. Yeah. I'm going to paint the pergola. And, um, yeah, you Cute. know what? It's It's actually not terrible like financially it's terrible but yeah like, i'm getting up i'm doing podcast stuff i'm playing with my cats and um i'm not hating it yeah good i think it's giving everyone a chance to rest like the last year and a half i'd say for myself i've absolutely been pumping every spare minute i've been performing yep i've been podcasting studying working mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i have i've been in a state of exhaustion yep for such a long time and now my body is like I get to sleep yeah I go to bed at eight o'clock <laughs> and I wake up at 11 the next day and I'm like shit I get to just fucking relax and it's great but yeah the stress is definitely there you've definitely earned your sleep in I slept until 9 30 today I was like what and my, ki- job. My, my, ki- That's early my kitten me. was like feed me I'm starving and I was like geez what time is it oh, oh my yeah. god it's 9 30 so yeah that was really weird it's nice little lady it's, it's just nice because normally you're at work at six in the morning. So yeah. It's a nice, yeah. It's a nice totally. change. Yeah. Mm. It's great. Great. Uh, but I, I do have like, to say, like, I am job missing. Stress. Uh, yeah, job stress. And I'm missing the shows. Like, I'm missing going out, hanging <sighs> out. And, you know, sometimes so I'll much. be like, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'll call blah, bloody blah to see if they want to hang out tonight and drink some wine. And then I'm like, no, I can't actually because isolation. Yeah, I mean, that's the only shit part. I mean, I'm missing performing so much. I'm missing putting drag on. Mm. But I got a gig on Saturday from my living room. That's cool. Yeah, I've got to figure that out. I know I don't know how the hell I'm going to do that, but it'll be a challenge. Um, (laughs) I think I'm going to do it in my mum's house and just get her to, like, 
mum, I'm just going to be like stripping and dancing for the next 20 minutes. If you could just. Could she just like go to a room and watch a movie or something? <laughs> no, she'll be there. She'll probably like be filming and mum gets so excited. She's like, oh! <laughs> like we'll probably hear her in the background. Going, yeah, yeah, go it. <laughs> like that's one thing she does at my show. She won't use Pistolina. She'll use my nickname as a kid and go Eddie, go Eddie. And everyone's like, who is Eddie? <laughs> it's me. And get this crazy woman out of the venue. <laughs> Who's that for? Yeah. I mean, by the time this goes out. Oh, shit. Facts from the freezer. Okay. <laughs> Facts from the freezer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'll see it. Okay. My fact is. Many animals have regional accents. Bats, dolphins, whales, dogs, birds, monkeys, and even cows have been noted to have a local dialect or tone to their voices according to where they live. That's cute. Isn't that cute? (laughs) So, like, a a bogan cow would be like, moo, fuck you, dickhead. Exactly. Yeah, I like that one. That's cute. That's cute. All right, my fact. (laughs) You sleep with 1.5 million dust mites every single night. That's gross. Dust mites. Ew. Mm. Dude, 1.5 million dust mites. I'd have my house paid (laughs) off in no time if I could charge them. (laughs) I'd be done, yeah. Yeah. I would be financially done. I'm rich, bitch. Okay, all right. All right, who's going to go first? Rich bitches. Uh, what's your theme? Paranormal? I've got like a supernatural kind of paranormally type one. It's a mm, little bit what epic. What paper scissors over the phone? It's not as epic as the Otto one, but it's oh, it's actually, it's not that long. No, actually, it's not that long. Oh, that one was so fucking good. It was, yeah, that all right. was like really hard to read. Rock, research, paper, actually. scissors. Whoever wins goes first. One, two, Oh, three. this is going to be hard because we're delayed. We're delayed. One, two, one. Hang on a second. After I say three, we're going to go one, two, three, go. Uh, Go. One, two, three, go. One, two, three. Uh, Uh, You win. I got paper. You got scissors. Oh, yeah, scissors, cups, paper. Okay, cool. All right, I'm going first. (laughs) 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 Right. right, Okay, my sources for today were not that many, actually. Wikipedia, MUFON.com, TravisWalton.com, and the uh, the book, uh, well, the short story, Abduction by Travis Walton, which is the short version of his book, Fire in the Sky. I am going to tell you about the alien abduction of Travis Walton, which you would probably know. It's a really famous one. I would say probably... Apart from Betty and Barney Hill, this is probably the second most famous alien abduction story. Yeah. So. Mm, I don't think I know this one. Mm, okay. Well, no, you will yeah. after this. So this story takes place Sick. in Arizona in the US near a small town called Snowflake, which apparently got its yeah. name because one of the founding families, her name was Snow and the other founding family's name was Flake. That's actually a true story. Okay. That's a coincidence. <laughs> so Travis Walton <laughs> is a 22-year-old timber worker at the time that this happens. 
and he's working as yep. part of a team of seven men in the Apache Sitgraves National Forest on a Wednesday in November 1975. So, Ooh. as you know, the 70s stories are the best ones. So they're working. They always are. They really are. They're working on a contract that required them to thin out the trees to allow for faster growth so that they can be cut down later. And aliens. Wow, wow, wow. And aliens. Um, it was a really good contract for the team and well paid. So his boss, who's also his yeah. best mate, Mike Rogers, Cute. who is 28, is really wanting to get this done efficiently. The other guys in the group are Alan... Dallas, John Goulet, Dwayne Smith, Kenneth Peterson, and Steve Pierce. So by 6 p.m., it's time for them to wrap up work for the day. It's really, really chilly, and it's dark by this time. So the sun had set about 15, 20 minutes earlier. They had a really long drive back to town, about an hour and 20 minutes. So what they used to do was they would carpool to the forest um, to the workplace in an old truck with four guys in the back and three guys in the front. So they pack up yep. all their stuff into the back. It's like a ute, what we would know as a ute, but like a really big one. So Mike is driving. Uh, so, uh, a mover or something. Sorry? A U-Haul. They call them U-Hauls in America. <laughs> so um, Mike is driving. And Travis is riding shotgun with Ken next to him in the middle seat. So usually in the morning they nap on the drive-in, but on the way home they're wide awake. And some of them use the time to have a few cigarettes. So um, the smokers generally go in the back seat and the non-smokers in the front seat. It's a pretty bumpy track and some of the guys make fun of the truck and how it might break down. Uh, So... They're still in the forest when Travis notices a light coming through the trees on his right. So if you think in the US they have left-hand drive, so if he's riding shotgun, he's on the right of the car. Um, So this light that he sees is about 100 yards ahead, and I looked it up, it was about 90 metres. He thinks for a Mm. second it's the sun going down. But then he realizes the sunset was half an hour ago and it was now dark. Then he thinks maybe it's some hunters camping out for the night and it could be their fire or car headlights. The men in the car go quiet as they all start to look at the light. When they get closer and the golden light is really bright but the trees don't allow them to get a good view of what's causing it. So Mike Mm -hmm. says... Mike says to the guys, so what are you guys seeing? And Dwayne suggests that it could be a plane that's crashed into the tree and maybe it's sort of still hanging on the branches. Mike speeds up a little bit to drive past the trees and to get a better view. And John yells out, stop the truck. They stop. And as soon as they sort of come into view of what's going on, Travis throws open the door and jumps out. Alan yells, my God, it's a flying saucer. So cool, 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 cool. <laughs> what they're seeing is a golden disc-shaped craft 
and it's hovering 20 feet above the ground. So that's just six metres. So it's really close. It Shit. makes it makes no sound. Whoa. And it's about 30 yards away from them. So it's 27 metres away from them and it's six metres above the ground. Um, the men are transfixed by what they are looking at. Yeah. In the short story that I read, Abducted, which you can find on TravisWalton.com, Travis writes... The craft was stationary, hovering well below the treetops near the crest of the ridge. The hard mechanical precision of the luminous vehicle was in sharp contrast to the primitive ruggedness of the dark surroundings. Its edges were clearly defined. The soft yellow haze from the craft dimly illuminated the immediate area with an eerie glow. The craft wasn't really that big. It was only about 20 feet in diameter and about 10 feet thick. Um, So whether it's part of a larger sort of ship, um, that was sort of my question when I was reading it. It had that sort of dome shape that you often see in artwork of UFOs, like, you know, kind of like that disc with like a dome on top, like that very much, that that cartoon Like the real traditional... Yeah. Yeah, the pop culture exactly um usb ufo yeah (laughs) (laughs) my brain isn't working today (laughs) so travis noticed that there was no sort of antenna you know nothing sticking out of the ufo um windows doors um that they could see it was just sort of very plain and sort of smooth Travis suddenly gets the urge to see it up close and he walks towards it, even though the other men are telling him to come back to the truck. He looks back at them. No way. Yep. (laughs) He looks back at them but justifies himself by thinking if something happens, he can just always run away. He walks further toward the craft As he comes to stand directly below it, he realises it's actually making a sound that's a mix of low and high-pitched sounds, beeps and rumbling sounds. He found it hard to compare it to anything he'd ever heard before. Okay, so the guys are still trying to get him to come back to the truck um, when the craft suddenly starts up. So the noises it was making start becoming sort of more intense and um, the craft actually begins to sort of wobble a little bit as it hovers above him. Travis crazy crouches scary. down. He crouches down as soon as he um, sees that, like, you know, it's starting up. Um, with a sharp cracking sound, a ray of blue-green light comes out of the bottom of the ship, and he feels like he's being electrocuted. Uh, Travis, he then goes into a state of blackout. So what the guys see in the truck is Travis being lifted off the ground with his body stretched out and his back arched sort of backwards. He's then thrown 10 feet. body stretched out. Kind of like a... So like the typical Jesus kind of pose. Okay. So... Okay. So he's gone from being he's gone from being crouched down on the ground to being stretched yeah. out with his arms and legs out, and it's almost as if it's yeah. pulling him via his chest, 
like towards the craft. Right. So like the when you see drawings of people being abducted and yep. they're like their bellies being pulled towards yeah. the sky. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And um, I've yep. got a feeling that that kind of comes from this story actually because I've seen so I think many it artworks. It sounds like the most stereotypical imagery. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it was used like that on the X Files as well. They used very similar imagery as yeah, well okay. on one episode. So it levitates him off the ground and then it throws him 10 feet backwards onto the ground. Um, at this point, the guys in the truck pretty much just freak out and mm-hmm. they start up the truck and they drive off as fast as they can, which is not super fast considering it's pretty rough terrain and there's lots of like potholes and stuff. Um, yeah. They thought the craft was going to follow them, so they're trying to drive as fast as they possibly can. They start arguing about whether they should go back to see what happened to Travis. Mike sees... Wait, they they didn't get Travis. No, no, no. They saw him get levitated off the ground and thrown onto the ground, and they've just gone, let's let's go. They've just started Mm. the truck and they've sped off. So... As they're arguing about whether they should go back to see what happened to Travis, Mike, and they actually, they get out of the truck at one point and they're like, what should we do? And they're actually arguing and saying, well, some of us want to stay and some of us want to go back. And they were like, well, why don't we light a fire for the ones that want to stay here? And then the ones that want to go back, we'll all get in the truck and we'll go back. So they're arguing about it. But Mike sees a light rising over the trees and then it just speeds away so he says did you guys just see that and then he says we have to go back so they all get back in the truck Mm. and they start driving back to where it happened and when they got there they find absolutely nothing they get out and they all call for travis one of them has like a torch and they start looking around the area um but they can't find him, and eventually they decide they've got to head back to town and get help. Yeah. So they call a police officer, and this guy's called Deputy, Deputy Ellis. They, they phone him and they say that their good friend is missing out in the forest. They're in, so they, they didn't drive all the way back to Snowflake. They've driven to a town um, that's kind of halfway called Heba. Yeah. Um, so Mike... Ken and Alan then speak to Sheriff Gillespie. So Deputy Alice calls Sheriff Gillespie and they actually meet in like a shopping centre car park. I think they didn't want to go to the police station to say, hey, our friend just got abducted by a UFO. So they wanted to meet somewhere that was kind of a little more, I don't know, what, what you would call it. Like, they didn't want to go to the police station. They just wanted to go somewhere that they felt safe. Anyway. Yeah, random. <clears throat> so, Sheriff Gillespie wants to know what's going on, and he's actually pretty suspicious. He's thought, well, maybe this kid's gone missing and these guys have something to do with it. So, he yeah, wants well, to find out would. what the hell these guys are on about. So, yeah. Mike and one of the deputies head over to Travis's mother's house, and her name is Mary. And she calls the rest of the family and she calls Dwayne, which is Travis's brother, and he lives in, um, I think, one of the neighbouring towns. It's the middle of the night at this point, so he hops in his car and he comes over 
to her. Somehow the story of Travis getting abducted by a UFO is told to the family. Um, although I can't get any details of how that information was put to the family. So I'm not entirely sure if Mike and some of the other guys just went over and just say, look, Travis was taken by a UFO or they've said, yeah, um, Travis is missing. We don't know what's happened to him. And then somehow it's got to him later. I, I couldn't find that exact information. Yeah. Somehow she finds out about the story. Well, it probably spread like if they're in a small town. Exactly. Exactly. Shit goes around. Um, so the police begin to search the woods and they start to treat the case as like a missing person case, but they actually think yeah. they're dealing with a murder. They can't find any huh. sign of Travis for a few days. They end up getting all six of the men on the Monday morning. So the disappearance happened on the Wednesday and it's now the Monday. They want to get the yeah. six men to sit a polygraph test. Now, five of the men pass successfully, showing no signs of deception about their story. However, Alan Mm. gets frustrated with the test and he actually walks out before it concludes. So his test is inconclusive due to incompletion. Well, people did sort of jump on that as being suspicious, definitely. Yeah. The search evolves to include horses, jeeps and helicopters. The story begins to get out through the media and UFO researchers pick up on the situation, even traveling from miles around to Snowflake. A UFO researcher called Fred Silvanus from Phoenix interviews Mike and Travis's brother, Dwayne, on the Saturday. And Dwayne says that he and his brother had always been interested in UFOs. And they'd actually apparently Mm. always had this thing where if they saw a UFO, they definitely want to take a closer look, which people found a little weird. Um, people, People began doubting the men's story, saying it's some sort of hoax. Um, Some also suspected that Travis's mother, Mary, uh, knows something about the case and that she's hiding something. However, Sheriff Gillespie believes the UFO UFO story after a few days. He uh, sees that the guys passed their polygraph test and he decides that they're actually telling the truth. Um, five you days. know what we all think about polygraph tests. Dubious at best or completely yeah, true? They don't tell you shit. Oh, yeah. And this is the 70s as well. Um, so... Exactly. It's like an old polygraph as well. Yeah. So five days after the abduction, Travis wakes up on the side of the freeway near where he was taken. He wakes up and he sees a huge silver disc-shaped craft hover above him before shooting up into the sky. He runs down the freeway and he finds a service station and he – Sort of, you know, he's bashing on the window, but there's no one there. So he runs down the road again and he finds another service station and he goes into a phone booth and he calls his brother-in-law. Um, oh, and God. his brother-in-law's name is Grant. So it's really late at night. It's like midnight. Well, not really late, but yeah. it's around midnight at this point. And Grant thinks it's like a prank call. Uh, even though Travis is like, it's me, Ugh. it's Travis, I'm at a service station, come and get me. And he's like, okay, this is a little bit weird, but okay, I'll come out and get you. 
So what Grant does work uh, is he swings by Travis's mother's house to get Dwayne, Travis's brother, and they go to the service station where Travis says that he is. So when they get there, they put him in the truck and Travis is babbling incoherently to them about the creatures with the big eyes and how he'd been gone for a few hours and he wasn't sure where he'd been. And they tell him, they tell him he's been missing for five days. Um, And (laughs) the way that they prove it to him, they say, hey man, touch your face. And he's like, got like, almost like a beard. (gasps) A beard. Yeah, because he's been gone for five days. So he's like, his facial hair has grown. Oh my God, I love that. A medical examination determined that Travis was in pretty good health, um, but they did find a small red dot on his arm that looked like a needle mark. Even though he Mm. had lost weight, his urine sample showed that he had not been starved during the time he was away. Um, Wow. Later, Travis would tell his story. What had happened was, what he remembered was, he had woken up in a room he thought was a hospital um, yeah, although, he, and he was laying on a table and he thought it was really weird that the staff had not taken off his jacket or his shoes or any of his clothes. So his t-shirt and his jacket are pulled up, exposing like his whole belly. And he's got like this silver, some kind of a device like over his stomach, like a curved yeah. device kind of like s- sitting on his stomach. And he says, "Is he fat? Is he fat? Yeah, like, was, did he have like a fat belly? No, he's he's a very regular sized guy, probably even on the skinny side. Yeah, right. Um, so this sort of device, this silver curved device, is kind of like over his belly. Um, and he says that there's no cables or anything around. So he says he sees." the doctors or what he thinks of the doctors and they're really small people and they've got orange suits. <laughs> <laughs> they've got orange suits on. I just love how he's still like thinking that they're human. Well, he wakes up and he's Even though they're all tiny. Well, apparently his vision was like super blurry and he was like really confused when he wakes up. Right. So okay. maybe he was drugged. You know, well, he probably was. Yeah, I mean – I mean, yeah, naturally your first thought would be they were people. Exactly. If, yeah. if, you've, if you've been knocked out and you don't remember looking up at a UFO mm. 10 seconds ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just want, I would have loved to have seen his face when he actually finally caught on what was going on. Uh, It'd be freaking terrifying. Yeah, you'd totally freak out. You're like, yeah. Ah. So, yeah, he notices that they're in these orange suits that had no zips or buckles or belts or anything. Um, and he notices okay. that the material that it's made out of, like, he can't see any threading. Like, it's not made out of, like, a material. It's, like, this weird substance that he doesn't recognize. Weird. Um, they were bald with large heads and huge dark eyes. The rest of their facial yeah. features looked very small and didn't move. Um, he jumped up Ooh. off the table that he was on and he started threatening them 
And what he does is he finds this table that has all these like instruments on it that he doesn't really recognize. And he, and he chooses this kind of like cylindrical sort of bottle. And what his plan is, is to like smash it and like bottle them. Yeah. But it won't smash. Yeah, bottle them. Yeah. Just bottle them in the face, mate. <laughs> just like they you know do who, down who, at who, Downs. Like my visual. Yeah, just the bloody Caram Downs every Sunday. You know who <laughs> I'm like picturing for this guy because I don't know what he looks like? Uh, is it, oh, oh, is it um, uh, Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse? No, definitely not. <laughs> who is it? <laughs> I'm picturing... <laughs> That's a random one. No, I'm picturing um, like Charlie Manson, how he like gets up on the table, and I can, can imagine him like doing his little like dance on the table, be like, "Hey, you, you crazy alien!" Yeah, Can you imagine him doing I think that? it probably wasn't be like, "Oh, you dissimilar. can't get me." Because apparently he had this <laughs> he had this cylinder just above his head, and he was like, "Yeah, are you gonna fight me?" Uh, anyway, this thing won't. Yeah, break. I can imagine like Charlie Manson doing that for sure. <laughs> No, he just bore them to death with talking. <laughs> so he tries to break the <laughs> cylinder, but it won't smash. And then the aliens just sort of scurry out of the room. Um, and Travis decides to follow them. But once he gets out Mate. into this hallway, it's this little hallway that's about three feet wide. And he says that the ceiling of the hallway is just kind of really dimly illuminated. He walks along the hallway, he can't see any aliens, and he finds this big room with a chair in the middle of it. So he goes to the chair and he sits down. And when he sits down, the room lights up like a planetarium. And he notices on the arm of the chair there's a lever, and he finds out that when he pulls the lever, the stars move position. He gets up to see if he can find any other rooms and he sees a man in a blue spacesuit and a glass helmet. He looks and he looks quite human. Although his eyes are yeah. really huge and they're colored gold. Right. This man shows Travis a large room that's like an aircraft hangar and he sees more ships like the one that he saw in the forest. They go into another room. Whoa. And there are more human-type creatures. There's um, one that looks like a woman and two that look like men. They do not speak. They always have a lady. They always have an attractive lady too. (laughs) Yeah. There's always like a really hot chick on the ship. It didn't specify if she was hot. Um, I think they're more like (laughs) – they're. I don't know. (laughs) They don't speak. They just (laughs) smile at him. Even though he's asking them loads, of, he's, he's asking them loads of questions, and all they just do is smile. And That's one of them, so creepy. One of them touches his elbow and leads him to lie on a table, where an oxygen mask Ugh. or something like an oxygen mask is placed on his face. Travis then passes out, and then he wakes up on the road, um, back in Arizona. So He's pregnant. <laughs> so Sheriff Gillespie thinks that he's been attacked and he's passed out for five days. Um, although oddly, he has no bruises. The aftermath. Yeah. Plus, of, he's been well fed. Well, he's lost weight. Like he's visibly lost weight, though. 
Um, and also when he comes back to earth, like he says, he feels really sick. Like he actually has an illness and he feels really weak and really tired as well. Yeah. So the aftermath of this case is full of controversy, controversies, confusion, politics, and rumor. And I didn't want to get into all of it because there's just so much extra stuff that happens after this that has pretty much nothing to do with the actual abduction. Yeah, so okay. Some people doubted Travis's story after he said he had smoked marijuana a few times. And oh, he also said they also found out that he had once been convicted of check fraud. So they're like, well, this mm. guy can't be trusted because he smoked a doob and, and <laughs> he's involved in fraud. Um, he failed a polygraph test, although he argued that the questions were worded unprofessionally and unfairly related his story to his background of check fraud. The polygraph examiner yep. in turn claimed that Travis would try to cheat the machine by holding his breath. So anyway, mm. that didn't work out very well. Some people accused Travis of trying to make money from his made up story and some accused the loggers of making up the story because they thought they couldn't fulfill the contract, the logging contract on time, and they wanted to invoke the act of God clause to dissolve the contract. So It's a pretty elaborate yeah, excuse to not get your homework done. It's pretty weird. It's pretty – I think it's a bit weak. So in 1978 – A bit weak. I'd say it's very exaggerated. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit crap. So in 1978, Travis writes his book. It's called The Walton Experience. And in 1993, a film based on its experience was released called Fire in the Sky, which uh, Mm. apparently, which I remember seeing when I was a teenager and being scared out of my brain. Um, uh, Did you say a movie? Yeah, yeah, there's a movie about it. Um, I'm going to look it up. But apparently... The, mo- the the story of, like, the guys watching him being abducted and stuff is pretty straightforward to the real story. But apparently what yeah. happens to him on the ship is – and I remember watching it and it was nothing like his story. So, like, they dramatised it in a whole different way. And it is super scary, that movie. The movie looks scary as shit. Yeah, it's totally – I would, yeah. I mean, I watched it when it I was It looks out. terrifying. Yeah, it's so scary. So oh, I'm uh, going to watch this tonight. It's on YouTube. Yeah, I saw it was on YouTube, but it's in like 30 parts, <laughs> like three minute parts. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> each clip goes for four minutes each. Yeah. <laughs> well, good, yeah. good luck with that. Have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So, oh, the aliens are, oh my God, he gets waterboarded. Yeah, it's really horrid. And there's a this lot of scary. There's a lot of goo. Um, a lot of goo, yeah. yeah there's a lot of goo. Whoa. And his friend Mike is played by um, Robert Patrick, the guy who plays the T-1000 in Terminator 2. He's in it as well. Oh, I have no idea, mate. Travis? <laughs> huh? <laughs> Are you okay? I just thought I saw the actor's name. I'm like, Travis. And then I realized, no, that's the no, dude's that's, name that you've been that's talking about for 15 minutes. Anyway, as as part of the promotional proceedings for the film, Travis, Mike, and Alan actually took polygraph tests in which they concluded 
that they were all along telling the truth. So without going into the rest of the political he said, she said stuff, that is ultimately the story of the Travis Walton alien abduction case. That's very interesting. I don't know how I haven't heard of this. It's a really famous case and he actually is quite – active like on the convention scene and like you know ufo conventions yeah well they all end up doing that don't they he's done a lot of interviews and things and um actually there was a really good episode on him on do you remember that show paranormal witness from a few years ago yeah if you can get paranormal witness his episode is really really good yeah sick yeah it's creepy the the pictures are creepy i mean for the 90s they're very creepy for the 90s I just realized my the one where there's like a thing around his eyeball and he they've got like a tube down his throat and he's yeah, all like the movie, glad wrapped to the table. The movie is definitely very um, sensational, as in it's not kind of yeah. like this. Like, like his his story that he tells in his book is very much more like a bit of a 1940s kind of more of a Roswell alien type thing. Right. Whereas the movie is like. Um, experimentation and it's it's really bizarre it's super super bizarre yeah okay great all right that's awesome dude that was cool good job thank you All right, guys, my sources today are for are from PW Must Read, Wikipedia, and Viral Nova. Cool. Say what? <laughs> um, so this story, it's a weird it's a weird story because um well it's really random. It's like one of my favorite stories on the fucking planet. I'm obsessed, obsessed with this story. Oh really? Um, Will I know it? Obsessed with it. I think he will. Okay. But a lot of people won't. Um, it's the story of Jason Moss, who Jesus. wrote the book Last Victim, oh, if that's familiar to you. That doesn't sound familiar to me. So he wrote, he wrote a book called The Last Victim, A True Life Journey into the Mind of the Serial Killer. Okay. Well, cool. I, it love, is, I love hearing ones that I don't know yeah. about. One of the best books I've ever read. Oh, cool. And um, this, his story is just insane. It's literally like one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. And the book is, I, I finished it in like a day. What's his it's name just, again? It's incredible. So Jason Moss. Okay. So I recommend for you guys to get the book ASAP, do it while you're in isolation. You will not regret it. It is okay. insane. Okay. Yeah, cool. So here it goes. In 1994, when Jason was only 18 and was attending college at UNLV, he wanted to write a thesis for his honours that was unlike any other student at campus. So he decided to write to John Wayne Gacy, Richard Ramirez, Henry Lee Lucas, Jeffrey Dahmer and Charles Manson. As you do. (laughs) Yeah, mate, I I would have loved to have done that. I would have loved to have done that. So the only people we have to write to at the moment is freaking Paul Denyer, and he's such a 
dickhead. I don't even want to oh, give him the time of day. Write, you could write to Ka- uh, Catherine Knight. Um, I could, but she's a bitch. Uh, like, I don't know. You, I would have loved to have written to um, Ivan Milat. I was thinking about it a few years ago, but oh, I just... a stubborn old bastard. He, yeah, I don't think he would have given back at all, to be honest. He would have been a prick. Or he would have written those really weird, like, far-winded, I'm innocent. And then, you know how he, like, signed every letter with a weird little drawing of himself? I'm pretty sure with, like, angel wings or something. He used to, like, sign it with, I think it was, like, Ivan the Innocent or something. Yeah, He's I think it was dickhead. Ivan the Innocent. I don't have any time for him. No. Cancelled. Well, he's dead now, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when he was writing to these killers, he learned to communicate with each of them by adapting to their interests, which ultimately made them reach out to him more in their letters. He would cast himself in the role of an admirer, a surrogate, a disciple, or a potential victim. Jason was interested in eventually working with the FBI and saw that finding a way to communicate with these criminals in an approach that was different to just a criminal psychologist interviewing them for, for hundreds of hours or a criminologist picking their brains. Rather, he would play roles that would suit each criminal and adopt their interests, which ended up making for some really intense relationships. Like, you can read it all in his book. He basically, with each each criminal, he would research them extensively beforehand, and then he'd structure the letters to get their attention. because, like According to their personalities. Completely. Like, for example, Richard Ramirez was one of the um, – he had, like, the biggest, quote-unquote, fan base in jail. Right. Like, he had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters coming in. I bet he so, did. like – Jason needed to catch his attention. He yeah. couldn't just be like, hi, I'm, you know, I'm really a fan of your work, blah, blah, blah. It was, yeah. So with Richard Ramirez, for example, he wrote to him claiming to be a grand priest of a cult and um, to get into Richard Richard's um, Satanist background and to oh bypass other pen pals. And do you yeah, know what? So he wrote to like, Richard and was like, I'm a cult leader. It's not like Ramirez could just jump on Google and just Google this guy's cult. So no. he would be able to do that and just say, yeah, yeah. What, what state was he in, this dude? Um, I, I know that Jason was in Arizona. I don't know where Richard was at when he was on death row. No, no, the guy, Jason. I think he in LA or something. He was in Arizona. Oh, Arizona. That's weird because or my Las story Vegas. was in Arizona yeah. too. No, 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 no. Always no, happens no. to us. It's like not even shocking and anymore. I, was, I know, right? Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like Richard had like so many pen pals. There were so many women writing to him. Yeah, I bet. And fans. And so like coming at the angle of I'm a grand priest of a Satanist cult, he would have been like, bing. Yeah, his ears would have pricked up. He'd be like, "Uh, okay, you're kind of interesting. Yeah, we'd be like, you're cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now, amongst the correspondence between some of the most infamous killers and cult leaders in history, the one relationship which traumatized Jason the most was with John Wayne Gacy. (gasps) I had a feeling you were going to say him, yeah. Yeah, and um, this is why I think it's really important to read this book um, because – 
number one, it shows a different perspective of the serial killers. Like I remember when I, I read it a few years ago, Richard was just very sexual. Um, I'm pretty sure I, I'm, he spoke to Jeffrey Dahmer, but it didn't really last long, I don't think. I think he was writing to him around the time when Jeff was actually killed in jail. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't that long. But, like, Richard was really sexual. They were all really sexual. I don't really? think Charlie was. Yeah, I think Charlie was just, like, a hippie. That's well, what he was. He probably just ranted and ranted and ranted about yeah, yeah, it would have yeah, would have been him and, rambling would, about shit. Yeah, it would have been yeah. just exis- wisdom existential and wisdom and and philosophy. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, completely. I wish I had the book with me right now, but I've packed it in storage, so okay. I've had to like go from my memory. But um, Gacy, he convinced Gacy that he was a young, naive, naive, insecure gay man who could easily be manipulated. Clever. So it started with letters, then progressed to collect calls, which then progressed to Gacy becoming super obsessed with Jason. Hmm, Over several months, Jason, yo, obsessed, dude. Fucking, this is why you need to read it. It is insane. So actually his plan worked too well. Too well. <laughs> yeah, too you, well. You do a school assignment, you end up with a serial killer being obsessed with you. <laughs> being like a stalker, yeah. And, like, Gacy had people on the outside. That was the scary thing, and that's what his threat was. He kept threatening, he's like, if you're fucking around with me, if you're not being genuine, I've got people on the outside. Like, Gacy, even though he was in jail, he still had power, you know. Is that because he had, like, followers and fans and that sort of thing? Yeah, and I, I mean, he always bullshitted and said that he had connections and stuff because he worked for the government, but, like, that aspect I, I don't know. think held any merit. I don't know if merit, I would have believed he that. Probably, no, but he, not with the government, but he probably had other people, just dodgy people. Because um, in the end, he started, like, paying the security guards and shit at the jail. He'd get, really? like, yeah, he'd get, um like, little incentives and shit and longer time within, in, like, like doing his own shit because he ended up, like, he was a manipulator. He's a psychopath. Okay. He could talk his way through to people and he ended up bonding with a lot of the security guards. Okay. Oops, now, Chris, Chris did, is gone. This guy, Jason, so obviously he wouldn't yep. want to give these people his home address. So, like, do you reckon he had, like, a P.O. box or something or do you reckon he had the letters, like, sent to No, I think they were being delivered else. to his house because he was living with his family. And, like, Gacy ended up calling him every single Sunday. Jeez, so and I'm pretty from memory. I'm pretty sure the family were like, "Oh, is that fucking John Wayne Gacy again?" Like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy, crazy, dude. It's like that. Yeah, ima- that, imagine that. Have you seen the Michael Jackson leaving Neverland? Yeah, it's like Michael Jackson became yeah, like obsessed I, I watched, with the family. I watched it again last night, and yeah. he was like phoning Weird. them all the time. Yeah, all the time. Oh man. Um. Over several months, Jason received over a hundred letters from Gacy, including hand-drawn pictures and disturbing instructions for sexual acts. Okay. Um, so, like, I actually looked up one of Gacy's work the other day because I wanted to see how much a drawing by him would be, and it's like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. There used to be a record store in so much Sydney money. that used to have um, 
murder, what do they call it? Murder penalia or murder? Yeah, something like that. You know, like oh, there's a word for it, like like for collectors of like murderers yeah. stuff. And um, I saw they used to have like, like they, they would have like in a frame envelope marked by Jeffrey Dahmer and they actually had John Wayne Gacy like clown paintings as well. Um, but I remember like, and this is like in the nineties, uh, this is around, oh, maybe around 99 actually. And they weren't that expensive. They were just like a few hundred bucks, but they've probably. Are you serious? Mm. It was a place. Yeah. Called well, the ones Red online now are like Gacy's are thousands and thousands. Oh, I love Red Eye Records. Are they still about? Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> oh, they had you used to live in to Sydney. A- oh my God. Yes. I just I remember. I live in Sydney. I love Red Eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, they That's they used to have a section where they had um like murder stuff. What? Yeah. Fuck. That's crazy. Well, um, I saw like I saw this one. It was like a spreadsheet written by um BTK, and that was around sixty dollars. Oh. But no, I wouldn't have that shit in my house. Yeah, I don't want to give anyway. any of my time. No. Every Sunday morning, Gacy would call Jason's home, which he shared with his family. This all was happening while Gacy was on death row. Mm -hmm. Gacy would try to coax Jason into committing incest with his younger brother, as well as send him nude images of himself and his brother. As in, get Jason to send him photos, not Gacy sending nudes to Jason. Lol. Jason started experiencing severe nightmares and paranoia and ended up getting in contact with Gacy's assigned FBI agent. Okay. Um, They then arranged for Jason to fly to Illinois, where he decided, Illinois, sorry, where he decided to meet Gacy in person. So he's getting freaked out and having nightmares and he's like, I think I'm going to meet this guy. It was getting so intense. Like he, I'm, I'm pretty sure like he ended up, really struggling with college. He didn't want to study. He was becoming really depressed and isolated and angry. And I think he just wanted to meet Gacy before he was killed. Oh, that's so, um, cause it was only a few really months dark. before his execution date. That's so dark. Yeah. Yeah. Quote, I was going to be alone in a locked unmonitored room with a psychopath who'd raped, tortured and strangled many boys just like me. Okay, so once Jason got to the prison and once he saw Gacy, Mm. it was just this empty room. Gacy wasn't handcuffed. He was just sitting at a fucking table. So you're literally like social distancing, stay away. (laughs) Yeah, and the guard literally disappeared. Oh, what? So Gacy had paid them to leave the two alone. The guards locked the door and then they... Then the surveillance camera was turned to face the wall. So, like, so all your, they got rid of all Jason's thinking, like, all my life choices have left have, have led me to this moment, and I want to be somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, he's stuck in a room with John Wayne Gacy, like, alone. That's terrifying. Oh, that's bad. Terrifying. <laughs> um. Uh, alone with Gacy, Jason was psychologically belittled and tortured. Um, Jason ended up visiting him twice over two days, seeing that it was obvious Gacy wanted to have sex with Jason. Luckily, on the final day, as Gacy, Gacy was becoming 
super physical and uh, physically aggressive and unstable, um, a jail guard knocked on the door and saw Jason was in distress and removed him. And that kind of triggered Jason into being like, this shit's real, this is scary, and he decided to cut all contact with all the serial killers he was talking to. I can't believe he went Um, back. Like, he visited him not just once but twice. He went twice. Yeah, he went twice. And I'm pretty sure that from memory, because I couldn't find it on the internet, but from memory, like, Gacy tried to rape him. That's why the book's called The Last Victim because he saw himself as Gacy's last victim. And like before he went and I'm pretty sure before he went and interviewed Gacy, he got in contact with one of Gacy's surviving victims and the guy was so fucked up. Like he had been raped by Gacy. He had been tortured, but he, mm. he got away. I can't remember what victim it was, but he managed to, I think Gacy let him out. I literally think he was one of the victims that went along with what Gacy was doing and Gacy just let him out. Yeah. I think I know the one that you're on about. Yeah. Yeah. He just let him do his shit. Um, but he got in contact with that victim and that guy was so scarred and so like couldn't leave his house. And as soon as Jason rocked up to his front door, he started having panic attacks and like, he's like, don't fucking, what are you doing talking to him? Yeah. He's evil. And then, after um, Jason obviously got assaulted by Gacy, he was like, this shit is real. Wow. You know, it only takes until you're attacked. Yep. So after that, Jason fell into a super deep depression. Um, and after seeing that when Gacy was executed by a lethal injection, he decided to turn his thesis into a, po- a book called The Last Victim. Wow. Which was co-authored by a counseling professor, Jeffrey Kotler. Hmm. The book became a bestseller in 10 weeks. <gasps> wow. So, so when did the book yeah, come out? I think Do you it, know? <clears throat> um, 2000, I think. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So he then graduated college. He served an internship with the U.S. Secret Service and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. Mm-hmm. and then decided to go into law and graduated in 2002, setting up a criminal defense practice, which I thought was an interesting choice. Well done to him. But, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, that is so criminal defense. So, you, so he would only defend criminals or people, can, um, yeah. people accused of crimes. Yeah. He, yeah. That is interesting, yeah. isn't it? It is interesting. I thought that was really interesting. I mean, he's got a passion. He's he's got a interest. Yeah, and he's got an insight into criminals, which you know, so many of us want to be able to do. But he has a firsthand experience, and he he could read them. Mm-hmm. You know, but it would be interesting. I mean, imagine him getting a criminal that was obviously sick and guilty. I wonder how he justified that. You know, it's really interesting. Exactly. I'd love to talk to a exactly. criminal defense attorney because it's like how do you justify that shit you know yeah exactly yeah it's really interesting so on the 6th of the 6th 2006 jason shot himself in the head and died oh my god yeah according to the co-author jason not only suffered from ptsd and depression 
but he was obsessed with Satanism while researching material while corresponding with some of the killers. So people don't know whether him committing suicide on that specific date was, you know, like a well, it last seems very, little... Like the, sim- the symbolism yeah, it's is a mark. It's pretty it's obvious. Like a, it's a final, like, little signature of, like... Died on the sixth of the sixth of the sixth. So, what is interesting because it just shows, um, potentially, you know, a lot of a lot of normal people are Satanists. I'd I'd put myself in the category of being a Satanist because Satanism isn't you know actually about it's not. It's quite a peaceful religion. Yeah, completely. If you if you actually read like the. The, the commandments of Satanism, it's really, you know, don't hurt others, don't kill unless necessary, mm. don't steal, don't don't kill animals unless you're eating like you need them for food. Mm-hmm. It's so much more peaceful than the Christian list of commandments, you know. Mm. So, but I don't know if it was a Satanist. I think the thing about Jason was he got so involved in the research material for these serial killers that mm-hmm. he probably convinced himself in the a lot of the belief systems, you know? He just like, I know so that he did take it. photos. Yeah, he took photos of himself for Gacy and posed as, like, a young gay guy. So and he, he wasn't actually, gay, he got married. He actually did do some of the stuff that Gacy wanted him to do. Oh, yeah, he, he took photos. I'm pretty sure he tried taking photos of his um his brother at some point, but, like, Gacy wanted him to have sex with the brother and yeah. really, like, fucked up incest shit, you know? Yeah. But, um, it sounds like he just got so like he deep went along into the with situation. Some of it, not the incest. Yeah, but he did, like, send nudes and he did, like, fucking... It's so interesting. Like, if you... I'll, I'll put the photos up when it's released, but there's photos of him and Gacy together, like, posing. and. Wow. It's crazy, man. It's such an interesting story. Yeah. It's so interesting. I feel like we've only just scratched the surface. I really need to go and read that book. Read the book. Get it online. I'm going to see um, if it's on Audible. Yeah, totally, man. It is the one of the best the, – the, the best book I've ever written read, sorry, was – I think it's called My Life with Serial Killers, and it's from a criminal psychologist mm-hmm. who's worked with everyone. She actually was – she 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 currently owns a piece of John Wayne Gacy's brain and she like did an autopsy on this brain and saw that like from just a physical standpoint the brain looked the same as everyone everyone else's brain but she she that's the best book I've ever read highly recommend that then second would be The Last Victim by Jason Moss okay interesting so interesting so fucking cool like get onto it highly recommend yeah, that's it. Yeah. I've never heard of that. It's incredible. Yeah. There's a movie. You. Really? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, oh, what's the movie? Hang on. I'm going to Google it. I, the, the movie was, I watched it as a little kid and it gave me nightmares. And it's about this Jason guy. Yep. It made me, like, as a little kid, I almost vomited. Oh, dear Mr. Gacy. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, but that one has a lot on Gacy's crimes and it has a rape scene mm-hmm. and that one was so scary. So trigger warning 
for people who want to watch it. Trigger warning for the whole fucking episode, yeah, to be honest. Exactly. But, um, yeah, because like the movie. Trigger, yeah, trigger I, warning for our podcast. Freaked I, me out. Trigger warning forever. But we've got yeah. it. But we we've, we've got the warning at the start anyway. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's my that's my story. That was Get awesome. Thank you so much. Really I love good stories. I don't know anything about. That's awesome. Yeah, get on. I mean, everyone knows shit about Gacy and Ramirez and mm-hmm. Henry Lee Lucas. And, mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't want to cover those stories on our podcast. Yeah, I mean, everyone's, I heard, do it. Like everyone's a, heard it over and over Everyone again. knows it. Everyone, everyone knows, knows it. Jeffrey Dahmer. Exactly. Yeah, but it's those other stories of people that have, like, come in contact with them would be sick. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, like survivors of them and that kind of thing. I find that oh, really, really interesting. Yeah. Or like I would love to do a story of the woman that that lived next door to Jeff and like had that sandwich he made. She's like, I remember he made me a ham sandwich once and once and now I'm like, was that ham? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll it. have to give me a list of of um stories you definitely don't want to hear. We should have we should have a list of stories we don't want to hear so neither of, of no no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. My massive, my number one no-no is the fuckwit from Don't Fuck With Cats. Oh. I can't remember his name. Yeah, actually, I've been hoping you don't do him. Um, I'm, I'm not touching I'm, it. I can't. I'm definitely like, not, not going near that one. What's I can't touch it. Luca and I'm not, Magnotta. Nah, I'm not supporting it. No. Not, I refuse to watch the show. I refuse no. to look into him. He's a, I hope he dies. Not interesting. A painful death. Uh, is he is he dead? Is he not dead? No, I'm pretty sure he's in jail now. Okay, still alive, I think. Ugh, that's disappointing. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening to yet another awkward um, isolation isolation podcast. episode. Because we were just saying beforehand, we we freaking can't wait to just get back into the studio as normal and just have uh. a normal conversation face to face. Um, I can't mean, wait. This is fine, but like, it's just annoying knowing that you're you're just a couple of suburbs away. You know, literally, literally, it's, it's just annoying. You're, you're exactly twelve minutes from my house. So yeah, yeah. It's just and Chris, you're annoying. like up the hill from me. Yeah, our producer is like probably six minutes from my place. It's frustrating. Yeah. It's very frustrating, and people aren't taking it seriously. Still, people are still walking around. Anyway. Yeah. Only four anyway, episodes guys. left after this in the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, Bye. that's it for All right. episode. I think it's episode nine. Episode nine. Yikes. So nine. until episode ten, you guys. Yeah, guys. Be safe. Sanitize. Wash your hands. Wash your clothes. If you don't have a washing machine, apparently you're meant to leave your clothes in direct sunlight. That kills germs. Oh. Um, yeah. I've been doing mine on extra hot water. Too. Uh, I've heard that's bullshit. Good job. Yeah. Good job. Good job. Good job. Anyway, Apparently guys. Not, obviously, yeah. Anyway, guys, have a great time. Be creepy. Listening, but don't be a creep. Boom.
However, Sheriff Gillespie. <laughs> Hang on. What? My cat is walking around with a butter, whole pack of butter menthol. Foreign. <laughs> what, in his mouth? Did you find this? Yeah, did you catch a butter menthol? <laughs> yeah, he just dropped them off to me then. Oh, that's cute. You know when cats catch something and they have their, like, hunter meow? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like it's like a lot deeper and it's kind of like yeah. I've caught something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always know when he, he has something because he just came into my room and was like, whoa, that's not his <laughs> usual meow. Good boy, you bought me a treat. Is that my dinner? You clever little pear-shaped boy. Oh. <laughs> Continue. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> I thought he had caught something alive. It was a butter menthol. We're all Where good. Where was I? 